Thanks, worship team. So I have like this nagging cough that's been like hanging with me and like singing triggers it. So I'm like, okay, I'm speaking this morning. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing. I'm just going to be present. I couldn't help it. <laughs> that, this, that was amazing. I was uh, singing loud. So if I break into coughing spasms, you can blame the worship team for that one. Um, it very well may happen. Um, pray with me as we continue in worship this morning. Lord God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for this group of people that gathers together. And what a blessing they are to my lives and what a blessing they are to the lives of so many. Lord, I thank you for the chance to be together as a church family. I pray that you would just uh, speak to us this morning, that anything that's of me would be quickly forgotten, and that anything that's of you would stick to our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing our series on being the church. It's kind of our horizon vision series where we're kind of reminding people, like, why do we do this thing called church? Why do we get together? Why do we even have horizon? And we're kind of unpacking that this week and by talking about spheres of influence. If you missed last week, um, I would say definitely go back and check it. But we're going to be looking at this series. Acts 1 through this verse is going to be like our theme verse. You know, when Jesus kind of gathered right before he ascended, he said this to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So we're kind of taking this idea of what does it mean to invest in concentric circles out? What does it mean? Like, what is our Jerusalem? What is our Judea? What is our Samaria? What is our ends of the earth? And last week, Mark did a great job talking about what we kind of are calling our Jerusalem, which is this space right here, the ministry that takes place in this place. And like, you know, like we are in the process of purchasing this building with all of its warts and all of its flaws, but all of its potential as well. And we are investing in this neighborhood and we want to be a longstanding presence in the neighborhood in Towson. But we believe that there's a ministry that happens when people come here, that we are discipled, that we grow in Christ. The point of being together like this is to be more like Christ. And we're going to kind of the circle that comes out from that is our Judea, which is where we are strategically placed right in the middle of Towson. And this includes Towson University. This includes Towson High School. This includes Uptown with all the businesses and all the courthouses and all the things that happen here uniquely in Towson and all the neighborhoods that live right here, the businesses like Raudabas. This is all like our immediate, our immediate neighborhood. This is where we are planted, and these are our neighbors. And it should be good news to Raudabas Flores that Horizon Church is in the neighborhood. It should be good news to the lawmakers in Towson that Horizon Church is in the neighborhood. It should be good news to the business community that Horizon Church is in the neighborhood. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. But we kind of zoom out again. What is our Samaria? Um, You know, it's getting a little bit wider. It's starting to step outside of maybe our immediate comfort zone. And what is, like, the culture right next to our culture? And Baltimore City is a little bit different than Towson. We share a lot of of things in common, but there's a lot of differences. And these areas are out here. We had somebody on our leadership point out that, according to Mark's maps, he lives at the ends of the earth. (laughs) So this is not a perfect science, right? We are not saying, like, if you live out here, man, you are not a part of any of this, right? No, this is more theoretical. But there's some differences that happen on the regions. Then Towson has its immediate immediate neighbor. And what does it mean to love our immediate neighbors well? And what does that mean for us? We're going to get to that next week. And then the ends of the earth is, you know, we invest deeply in Nicaragua. We invest, we have people who go to Zambia regularly. We have missionaries who kind of go all over the world from this space right here. What does it mean for us to be a church that is concerned about the ends of the earth? And we're going to talk about that the last week of the series. But if you missed 
last week, Mark really kind of talked about Judea being a space where we really clump. Like, why do we get together? Why do we gather on Sunday mornings? And he called it clumping because it's, un, you know, he likes to put an uncomfortable word out there that makes us think about it. And so thank you, he did that. But it's really, a, it really, we live out the commitments of the church right here. And some of the things that when you commit to Horizon Church, it's a life moving in the direction of wholeness. We believe that discipleship happens in this place. It, discipleship happens by getting together, that by the very act of getting together and being in the word together, we move to be more Christ-like. And as we are equipped to be disciples, you know, we, we, are, we start to give more of our lives away. We live a life of sacrificial giving that impacts the world around us. And then we start investing in community and doing this thing together. And that's a large part of why we come to Jerusalem, to be built up so that we can go back out. And this week, we're going to really talk about investing in Judea. And what does it mean that we get built up here and then go out? What does going out mean? I do love that, you know, First Lutheran has this little sign on the way out of the, out of the driveway. I don't know if you noticed this. It's like, you are entering the mission field. I love that. I love that. It's such a beautiful legacy to say, like, look, we're here to be built up. But the second we step out these doors, we're in the mission field. Like, this is, like, where we were called to be the church. You know, one of my favorite benedictions growing up was, like, let's go from being the, scattered, the gathered church to being the scattered church. What does it mean for us to be the scattered church right here in the neighborhood and to start to have an impact here? So we're going to talk about investing in Judea. You know, when, when Jesus said this to his disciples, he was talking to the, like, about Judea was the people who were the most culturally the same as them. You know, they were also Jewish. They had the same heritage. They had a lot of the same things in common. It was a little easy half step. You're starting to leave your comfort zone, but you're not going that too far out of your comfort zone, right? Like you're going back to your neighborhood. You're investing in the people nearby you who are very similar in what they value theoretically, other than the fact that your values have been reoriented reoriented by Christ, right? So like, so you're going to go back out into this world. But for us, our communities are a little different then. You know, they would be going out and they would have been in direct relationship with their neighbors, and they're really, their neighborhoods were very interdependent. And I would say that that's probably not how you feel about like, your immediate neighbors right now. Like, I don't feel like I depend on my neighbors very much, and I could tell you that because I don't know their names yet. So like, you know, I just, now, to be fair, I just moved in, but I could probably go seven years without knowing their names, and it really wouldn't affect the way I live my life much because that's the kind of world we live in now. There's not an interdependency in our neighborhoods. We tend to kind of gravitate towards, like, you know, our neighbors aren't chosen. These are the people who just were placed by there because they found a house at a good deal. I didn't ask them to move next door. Like, you know, I have nothing in common with them. Maybe I, maybe I tried to see if they liked watching the Eagles and the Ravens fan, and, well, that's it, right? Nothing in common. We're like, just don't get your leaves on my yard, man, right? <laughs> like, that's our relationship now. That's too common, right, that we just don't have anything in common with our neighbors, and so we move on. And the reality is, like, we prefer to choose our community, you know, we prefer to kind of find the people that we have commonalities with, and we build around that. And this is easy today, because with the internet and with cars and with the development, I drive 15 minutes, it's not a big deal to go to anything that I want to be around. And so we can neglect the immediacy that is right around us. You know, we shop at the grocery store that we prefer out of the 18 options that we have within like a 15-minute radius. And a lot of people will drive very far out of loyalty to their grocery store. That's great. I have no problem with that. But we do that with everything. I drive far with the loyalty to my gym. I'll drive far to see the people I want to see. And I'll do whatever it takes to kind of do, to reach my comfort zone, expand it as beyond as it is. And we, but we can miss things in the cracks, can't we? When we kind of gravitate everywhere around our comfort zone, there's an immediacy to the people who live right around us that we, it's easy to neglect, it's easy to neglect Judea. We all drive here on Sunday mornings, which is great. A lot of us walk, some of us drive, and then we go back out, and we can miss every neighbor on the way in and out for the rest of time. They would never even know we're here other than we're a nuisance with our parking, right? And that's the easy way for us to be. 
And that's unfortunate because it should be good news that Horizon Church is in their neighborhood. It should be good news. So how do we possibly go about reaching Judea? You know, as always, we're going to start with Jesus. I love that he's just such a great example of all these things. This is Jesus walking through his community. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, up until this point, Jesus' disciples had been fishermen. They had been people who were kind of probably semi-religiously devout. They might not have got much of it together or known much about the faith. But he goes strategically to like an enemy at this point, to somebody who's a little bit different, but in his own community, to someone that the community would have looked down upon because tax collectors kind of allied themselves with Rome. They basically were working for Rome. And if you're a good Jew, you want nothing to do with Rome. You don't even acknowledge their authority. So he goes right over to Levi and says, hey, man, I want you to be a part of our crew. <laughs> I want you to come be with me. And he's so touched by this. We don't, this is not our culture. Somebody said, hey, man, come hang out with me today. I'm like, no, I don't know who you are. <laughs> he's like, he gets up and leaves everything and hangs out with Jesus. But what's the next thing that happens? This is amazing. Jesus doesn't say, come to church with me and experience my world. I want you to leave your comfort zone and come be in my comfort zone. I don't want you to kind of change. He does this. Levi holds a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large group of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love this story. I think it's so much about what Jesus is about. He doesn't say, come, just hang with us. He says, I'll come to your place. And he does this a lot. Do you notice he does this most with people who are outcasts? He did it to Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. He says, I'm coming to your house today. I'm going to go to the place that's uncomfortable for everybody else, but you're going to be at home there. You're going to be at home there. In fact, the religious people are so uncomfortable that they're at the door saying, what's Jesus doing? Who is this guy? He's hanging out with the sinners. He's hanging out with the people that don't really fit. And Jesus is like, that's exactly where I want to be, right? Like, he noticed that Levi had a need for belonging, and like people who are outcast in that society, again, if you're outcasted from your neighbors, it's a big deal. You don't fit. You're an interdependent community and you're not accepted by your neighbors. That's a big deal. And Jesus is like, I'm gonna bridge this gap. I'm gonna show you how this house is okay by going into it and participating in it and blessing it and inviting some of my friends to hang out in this house. You think it changed Levi's status a little bit in the neighborhood when Jesus came and invited his posse in? I mean, it probably was a big deal. And what, how Levi was accepted from that point on. He steps into Levi's world. He says, Levi, bring all your friends. Those are the people I want to be around. Bring anybody who feels comfortable in your place. Yeah, what's, what's, I'm going to come to where you're comfortable. Jesus absorbs the risk and the embarrassment of the moment. You know, this is not something that we do in our culture. Um, Zach Kuhn and I had the chance to kind of hang out with somebody who was a part of like helping us buy this building. We, there's a lot of title people and loan officers. There's all kinds of like, people in the business world. And we, we hung out with one of the guys who works for a title company. Um, and it was interesting. He was telling us a story about how he invited a neighbor over for dinner and he thought it went okay, but they didn't have much in common and they never reciprocated. So they basically haven't talked in three years. And I was like, so, so you know, I'm thinking this, I'm processing this. There was an expectation of a reciprocation and when that wasn't met, the relationship ended. It ended. And that's, I feel like how easier we just be like, well, I tried and I quit. Jesus is like, I'm going to embarrass myself trying to reach people around me. Like, I'm going to put myself out there. And I'm not, he didn't wait for an invitation. He didn't wait for leave. He basically invites himself to places. 
And he kind of continues to put himself out there. Like, what would it look like if we kind of like kept inviting our neighbors, even if it didn't seem like they were interested? Hey, no pressure, but this thing's going on. Hey, no pressure, but we're doing this. Hey, no pressure, but your kids are welcome to kind of participate. We're building a jungle gym in the backyard. We want your kids to use it as they feel fit. No pressure, but you're always welcome. You don't have to do anything. Like, what if we risk the embarrassment of they're going to say no? They're going to say no. That's okay. We keep putting ourselves on the line if we follow the, if we follow the model of Jesus. So how do we possibly go about reaching Judea? We're going to go back in time a little bit. We just went with Jesus. Let's fast forward 400 years from Jesus. There's this book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. And guys, this was one of the core books that we held when we kind of start, when Horizon Church was getting started. This was a really important book in our history, and we don't talk about it all the time, but it is an incredible book. And what it does is it follows the ministry of St. Patrick. And basically the author unpacks how did St. Patrick evangelize all of Ireland. And you may not know this. You may think St. Patrick was the guy who drove snakes into the ocean and then drank a lot because that's kind of, you know, what he's somehow known for. Uh, But uh, actually, nothing to do with either of those things. He was the one who actually evangelized all of Ireland. He is the reason that Ireland knows who Jesus Christ is. Because 400, 400 AD, they didn't. They, Jesus had, his word had never been spoken there. His gospel had never been proclaimed. St. Patrick was a slave from England, literally captured by pirates, taken to Ireland, and forced to be a slave in Ireland, had a vision of a boat, and he basically followed the vision and got away, escaped from slavery, met the Lord, transformed his life, and God says, God appeared to him basically as an Irishman saying, come and share the gospel with me. And he's like, I'm going to go back to the place that enslaved me? Are you crazy? And he had to get permission from Rome. He literally started writing letters from Rome for permission to evangelize Ireland. And they finally gave him the green light and he goes. And this this incredible mission of what they did. What they basically did was they would come with like 12 people, like a band of people, and they would set up shop right alongside a town. And they'd start doing life with the people in the town. They would have their little monastic kind of methods. They would have their prayer times. They would have their worship services. They would have their meals together. And it was rich fellowship that they experienced together. And then during the day, they went about their, jo- like a part of the, just their jobs, they also went about meeting the people in the town. And, just, and here's what they actually did as they were in the town. They, first, they moved in next door. They engaged their neighbors. And this was their ministry. They would pray for people. They would counsel people who were in distress. And they would mediate conflicts. They just started kind of getting involved in the neighborhood. And they realized that what their skill sets lent to was that they could pray for people who were in need. And they were really, really good at helping people resolve conflicts. I bet your neighbors never have any conflicts, right? There's no, there's no if you live in Towson, they are up in arms about something dumb right now, I promise you. I promise you. Okay, it is, some college student did something and these guys won't leave me alone. And no, yeah, seriously, there is conflicts here in Taos. This is what they did. They started resolving conflicts. They became mediators. They prayed for people who were in need. And then as they kind of built and earned the right, they said, hey, if you want, as they found people who were open to what they were saying, they said, come, come hang out with us for the day. Come see what we do. And they would come to this little worship service and they would eat the meal with them and they'd kind of see the prayers going on and they didn't even believe yet and they belonged. And as they started kind of participating in the rhythms of the worship, they're like, who is this God? I want this. I want this. Guys, and, little, and then what happened is so many people met the Lord in this little town that they said, there's too much here. Let's send a band to the next town. And literally, town by town by town, all of Ireland came to know who Jesus Christ was. That is literally how the gospel got proclaimed around, around Ireland. How amazing is that? Here's a quote from 
they shared the good news. They would, they would share the good news in person. They would a lot of times use like analogies like, like, to help things, but they also would bring them back so that they experienced the good news. And here's a quote from Hunter who wrote this book. There's no shortcut to understanding the people. When you understand the people, you often know what to say and do and how. When the people know that the Christians understand them, they infer that maybe Christianity's high God understands them too. There's no shortcut to getting to know people, but as we get to know them and we get to understand them and we get to understand what they care about and we care about what they care about, there's something that starts to happen. If this person who loves Jesus so much cares about the basic needs of my life, maybe God actually does care about my life as well because they seem to be a really good representation of who this Jesus was. Here's a more modern day picture of it. There's this place called Sandtown. This is uh, my, my, I had the privilege of mentoring a young guy. When I started, I swear he was smaller than me. Um, it, it took him two years to be like twice my size. Um, this is Javon. He's, a, he's an awesome kid that I get to mentor down in the city. And we, we have a great, we've built this great relationship over time. But something happened when he went to high school. You know, he lives in Govins. And like, you know, the, I don't, do not understand Baltimore City schools, but somehow his high school is now in Sandtown. So 25 minutes from the place that he grew up, I drive him to school on Wednesday mornings because we have breakfast together with this cool young life crowd, and then we kind of go down, and I drop him off at school. And there's two things that kind of happen in my heart as I kind of drive him down there. One is that my heart breaks because this little kid from Govins is going down to, like, one of the roughest places in the city, and I don't know if he has friends. And he's, he's on the football team, and he's trying to build friends, but I can tell he doesn't love high school there yet. And it's, it's, like, so hard for me to, like, drop him off. I just want to be like, come spend the day with me, man. Like, this is, I, I couldn't do what you're doing. You're stronger and braver than me. But he's going into this every day. But then there's this other hope that kind of kicks up in my mind. Because I, I know the story of New Song in Sandtown, which was a bunch of people who moved into Sandtown. And they, they went with the idea of, like, we want to help transform one of the worst parts of America. And so how did they go about it? Well, they said, let's not bring our suburban ideas of what's the best way to fix Sandtown. Let's go down there for a year. Let's just listen to everything that the neighbors say. And let's be well-known in the community and just hear and just receive. And they spent a year listening and listening and listening. What do the neighbors care about? What do they want to do? What, what needs to happen in this community? They just through relationship, they started asking these basic questions. And they started to realize that poverty and job supply was a, was a real big problem. So they started job training kind of things. They brought people in to help, help do job training. Man, education was a real problem in Sandtown. How do we start to start a school that meets that educational need? And a school was born in Sandtown. And they started to, little by little, they started to find out what does this community need and how can we meet those needs? And, you know, they spent a year living there. They found out what they needed, what the people needed. And then they built a school. They did job training. And the other big thing was housing. The houses were decrepit and falling apart. They got Habitat for Humanity in there. Habitat for Humanity has built hundreds of houses in Sandtown. Hundreds. And has revolutionized whole pockets of Sandtown. And they're still at work. They're still at work. Now, we might not have the same needs as Sandtown, but can't we do that? Can't we go and listen? Can't we find out what our neighbors care about? Like, it doesn't seem like the hardest thing in the world, but it's revolutionizing one of the toughest places in America. Guys, this is an easy half step outside of our front door to say, what does Towson care about? And there are times that they'll care about things that you say, maybe they need Jesus to reorient what they care about a little bit. But we can meet them at first in their need, right? Like, do we know what our neighbors care about? Do we know what they need? Because sometimes there's a need underneath what they care about, right? I'm angry about this, but I really, there's a, there's a need underneath that that's going unmet. 
You know, we know they need Jesus. Like that's, that's the given. They need Jesus to transform their lives. But what is the critical on-ramp to introducing Jesus into their lives? Jesus often introduced himself by meeting a specific need in someone's life. And when they came to see the goodness of Jesus, because he cared about that thing and he met that need, they came to see the whole of who Jesus was. What is the on-ramp for someone coming to know who Jesus is? If they're really concerned about their marriage, they're hurting, their marriage is in trouble. What did, they, what did they do in Ireland? They were great at counsel and mediation and praying for people. We can, we can do those things. We can do those things. And it met deep-seated needs. Maybe they're hungry for purpose. Maybe they're hungry for belonging. Maybe they're hungry, they have concern for their kids. They don't know, their kids are kind of getting into the internet and they don't know how to control that. They don't know what to do. And school's not fixing it because school's not built to fix it. School's built to educate them. Maybe they need someone to lean on through a great difficulty. And that's the need underneath the concern. We, don't, we could all throw a rock in a different direction and we'd hit somebody in need in our community. You don't have to go far. You don't have to go far. What do they need? What is the heart cry? What if we took sacrificial steps to meet people where they are in our neighborhood? What if we said, like, as a church, we're going to commit to really loving this neighborhood so well that it's going to transform, it's going to be good news to the people in this immediate neighborhood that Horizon Church is right here? What if we started putting more effort and resources and caring for the needs of our community? You know, one of the things that we're kind of running into is, as a neighbor, there's concerns that they have that we kind of need to meet. And this is not what I imagined. When we started to own a building, I never thought about, like, maybe we should dedicate a little bit of money towards landscaping because our vines from our property are killing the trees of a neighbor. But guess what? That happened. And First Lutheran wasn't in a position where they felt like they could do anything about it. So it's like, you know what? What's $500 in the economy of God to say, like, we'll take care of that because we love being your neighbor. We'll take care of that. We had, we had coffee with them the other day. Do you think that helped soften the coffee invite to say, like, we cared about something that you cared about? We had a great coffee, great discussion about, like, the future of Towson, right? There's people right out here who get really concerned if we don't plow the back of the alley because they can't get their cars in and out. And First Lutheran used to do that for them. And they're really concerned that when First Lutheran moves on, that no one's going to be plowing the alley for them. Do you think we can take care of these basic things? Do you think that'll earn a little bit of goodwill? They might like being our neighbor if we kind of go the extra mile and just take care of the little things around them. What if we take that the next level up, right? What if we really start getting concerned about the bigger things and their community that they're concerned about, the needs of the community? I have no idea where this would lead. We spend a year listening. We may end up starting an after-school program. I have no idea where it leads, because I don't know what they need, and I need to learn. We all need to learn together. We need to go on a journey. What if we truly viewed this as the beginning of making disciples? We are starting to make disciples outside our walls. That they'll come to know Jesus, and someday maybe they want to be a part of this because they want to grow in Jesus Christ, and this is where they can come to grow. The beginning starts out there, though. The first steps of discipleship start outside of our walls. This is from Romans Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. 
For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Again, absorbing the insults to love the neighbor. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Because we bring hope and good news to the neighborhood when we love our neighbors for their benefit, for no other ulterior motive than we want them to flourish. That's, that's part of the gospel. It's saying we just care about Towson being the best Towson that is possible of being. And I hope they see God in that. But if they don't come here, it's not a loss. We're called to love and to love sacrificially. You know, as our leadership, we decided that this is probably our biggest growth area as a church this year. We feel like we spent a lot of time really beefing up Jerusalem. We're still working on making Jerusalem a better place for people to grow and become disciples. But what we felt like we have the most growth to do is now we're about to be neighbors and we, we haven't really played that role yet. So what does it mean for us to really, this is, we are asking you to join us in loving Judea well. This is the next step in Horizon really, like stepping into the role that we're called to do. What if we started doing this really well? Well, if we started doing this really well, I think it's gonna have a certain impact. It would probably make us grow. You know, it would probably, in, in a lot of ways that are fun, it would be exciting to have worship be full and so many people here, and a lot of ways that are kind of challenging and are gonna stretch us as well. You know, this is ultimately where we want them to come because Jerusalem is about making disciples. So if they start to become Jesus followers and they wanna grow in discipleship, hopefully this is one of the places that they find that they can really grow in Jesus. But as they come, it's gonna to lead to kind of a lot of things. And we need to be ready for this. This might feel uncomfortable, but we need to want what it's going to lead to. As Pat would say, you can want what you want, but you have to want what your wants lead to. <laughs> I know, it's profound. Think about it. Our, our, our wants might be to reach the neighborhood, right? And what we want, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to some things too. And here's some things it might lead to. Just some examples. Are we ready for this? We get really good at reaching a younger generation, but the music that reaches them is different. This could start to happen. We might be sending versions of Baby Shark 10 years from now. Like Christian, I don't know, right? But who knows? Like it might stretch us outside of it. Yeah, Leroy will lead us in that. <laughs> we start getting really good and it might bring different cultural elements that change what I'm comfortable with. What do I serve? My comfort zone, my preferences, or Jesus Christ who wants to reach people beyond me? It's gonna stretch us. Let's be real. You know, churches went to war over whether or not they have drums, right? I mean, they, they basically split over whether they have drums or not. That actually happened. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to be that. The message starts to lean more and more to the basics. We start to fill this room with 70 people who are kind of new in Christ. And guess what needs to start happening up here? We need to start teaching how to live in Christ from more of the basic standpoints. Now, we try. We try really hard as pastors to balance depth and like intro, like little steps in there. But there might be a day that we're called to lean towards basic discipleship. And you know what we'll probably hear? Well, it's not as deep as it used to be. That's a fair criticism. I hear that all the time about, I didn't like that church. It wasn't very deep. Okay. Were they proclaiming the gospel? Because for me, I haven't mastered that yet. <laughs> like, you know. So what if it's, it's going to be more for someone else sitting next to you than it is for you? That might happen. Are you still in? Are you still with us? Are we still accomplishing the mission of the kingdom? The leaders seem to be busy with the newer people, and I don't feel like I'm getting poured into as much. These are legitimate complaints that we run into across the church all the time. And they're, they're legitimate. That's a, that's a hard feeling. So my, my challenge to that, like, are you ready to join? Like, go spend time with the leaders side by side. 
pouring into that person. Learn what, learn what they're doing. Start replicating it. I'll tell you this, you will grow more from pouring your life away than you will from being poured into. I promise you that. A lot of new children enter the kids' programs. They haven't been parented right. They haven't been taught. They, they, it's like they weren't even raised in Christian homes. Yeah, probably not. It's not quite as comfortable for my children down there. We're having some issues. Well, let's work through it as a community. Let's disciple the children, and there's gonna be growing pains to that. Are we ready to sacrifice what's comfortable for what the world around us needs? Because that's what Jesus called us to do. And it has real-life consequences for us. Again, we can love the idea. Will you love it when it's hard? Because we need you to. We need you to. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being unified with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, I love this, if you've experienced any of these things in Jesus, if any tenderness and compassion, I think some of us, most of us would say we've experienced some of that from Jesus, right? Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of others. And he goes on with this beautiful poem about that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He lowered himself so that he could lift us up. This is what it's called to be Jesus in the neighborhood. It means my preferences kind of get the back seat to what my neighbors need. Ultimately, you know, this will mean we all need to keep growing up together. We're going to grow as disciples through this because it's going to challenge us. And as we learn to pour our lives out, it's going to grow us immensely. But growth isn't always easy. Growth happens most when we learn to pour our lives out. It just does. It just does. When pouring our lives out becomes second nature, the growth that we will unlock will continue to multiply. Trust me, when, this, when we get really, really mature and good at just pouring our lives out, these seats next to us are gonna start to fill. It's just gonna happen. It's contagious. It's absolutely contagious. You know, Mark talked about these kind of commitments. I would say these commitments are almost next level. This is some of the things that we commit to when we ask you to commit to Horizon Church for a year. Two of the things are a lifestyle of sacrificial giving. And trust me, if you are stepping into kind of joining us and serving Judea, it's gonna mean a lifestyle of sacrificial giving. We're gonna start to give up some of our own preferences. But in that, the byproduct of that is that you are gonna be discipled. Your life will be moving in the direction of wholeness in even deeper ways because you are living out what Jesus Christ lived out when he was here. And as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, we become more like him. And your life will become more and more whole. Your sin will be exposed because you'll realize how selfish you are. You'll have to deal with that. We'll deal with that together. We'll all confess our sin together. We'll grow together. It's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be awesome. Because at the end of the day, do I wanna be comfortable or do I want more people to know Jesus Christ? Do I want Towson to be transformed? Do I want people side by side with me in heaven who had no idea he was until Horizon Church came to the community? Do I want flourishing to happen everywhere that the church steps its foot so that God is glorified in heaven? What do I want more or do I want to be comfortable? Right? Because that's the tension we walk in. So investing time and resources. This is what, you're getting practical. What is this going to mean for us? It's going to mean investing time and resources. You know, when, when I first had the privilege of kind of joining Horizon, our budget was so low that, like, I mean, it was sub-$100,000. And we were running a church in Towson for that. It was incredible, absolutely incredible. Our budget has grown a little bit. We've invested more in deeper things, but we are still trying to grow. We are about to buy a building. 
And it's going to require some resources from us. You know, like it's going to require time and energy. We're going to have painting parties and days like that where we kind of want to make this place better. But, you know, here's something you might not know. Money goes to the community that is in need. 10% of everything that comes in the door goes right back out to people who are in need. And we're going to talk about more of that next week about what happens in Samaria. But some of that happens right here. To people in this community who are in need, who experience brokenness, to people that they know that are experiencing brokenness. We kind of rally around people who are in broken situations, and some of your money goes to support needs in the community. Here's a cool thing that we're doing this year for the first time, and it's been my dream that that 10% would just get, not just grow because the budget's growing, but that we would get in the higher levels. And we are doing something exciting with our budget this year. We are giving away 10%, and then we're not even counting the money that we're giving to Food for Thought, which is almost $5,000 that goes to feed kids right here in the neighborhood, and that's above and beyond the 10%, because we're growing enough that we can start to give more out the door. Please give us more to give out the door. And here's the other thing. When people who are in need and brokenness happens, people give above and beyond to special causes all the time in this church. I would say what's given out is closer to 20% of our income is given out the door because this church is making an impact. And I just want to see that grow. How cool would it be if one day we were running a budget for the church on about 50% of what we raised and 50% was transforming Towson and Samaria and Baltimore City? Like, what if we were doing that? Because I want that. I want that. Just having more money doesn't mean we need a bigger building. We're locked into our, our square footage right here. <laughs> and thank God for it. Because we don't need a mega church. We just want to do what we do well. So money goes in a community that's in need. If you don't know, Food for Thought is we, have, we are expanding the amount of kids. There are kids who go to Towson Elementary Schools who are food insecure. And they have... You can get free meals at school during the week, but they're not sure exactly how they're going to be fed over the weekends. And Horizon says, we will answer that call. We ask. This is one example of us listening to a need and saying, we can do that. We can do that. We can meet the gap of kids being fed over the weekends. It's a small thing, but it's important. And so there's, what is it, Angela, 14 kids that will be fed next year? 15, 15 kids that will be fed from Pleasant Plains Elementary because you guys are giving money to help us do that. That's awesome. So that's one of the ways that we can kind of contribute. Food for thought. Repairs and upgrades to the buildings. Here's the thing. I don't really care. We can meet in this cold slab and whatever. We have the air running and the heat running at the same time. <laughs> it's not because we just love the party. <laughs> like, yeah, we just, let's run it all. <laughs> This building is so out to date that there's literally no heat gauge on the heat. It's either on full blast or it's off. So to not die in a pile while we're here, we have to turn the air on to mitigate the overwhelming heat. It's either 30 or 100 without that air running. That's the literal what we're dealing with right here. This building needs some upgrades. And it doesn't, who cares about our comfort, right? But if we're going to invite some friends, we don't want them to be freezing while they try to learn about Jesus. And we don't want them to be sweating bullets so that they have to run home just to like get out of it. It's part of just hospitality. We are now looking eyes out. I want the bathrooms to be a little bit better, not because we need better bathrooms, but because I don't want someone to not come back when they're in intro phase because the bathrooms are just nasty. So these things will start to happen. We are upgrading the heat starting next week. It's gonna, and we're going to start with the kids because they're more important. So it might be a while until it gets up here. Right? But, but these things are matter not because we care about having the nicest church in the neighborhood. It's never going to be that, I promise you. But we want our guests to be comfortable. It's part of hospitality. It's part of loving our neighbors. And we are doing this in the hope and the expectation that new people will be sitting here. Because we can get along with whatever. We're comfortable with each other. We can put up with things. But our guests might not feel the same way. 
you know, growing our mission, services, and staff. This year we were able to add Katie on staff and it has revolutionized our ability to communicate. Yes, seriously. It's revolutionized our ability to communicate these types of needs. A lot of times Mark and I would be like, that's a great thing, we should tell people about it. And then like a week later, you tell anybody? No, I forgot, do you? No. Katie gets it done. She gets it done. And as we communicate better, as we organize better, somebody emailed me a concern from the neighborhood and I I attached Katie to the email before I even got to think about it. She had solved it, right? Like, that's awesome. We are dreaming bigger about reaching the neighborhood around us. And it might mean a couple more people. It might mean having another service that reaches a different demographic of Towson. It might mean launching another church someday, like, like they did in Ireland, to say, hey, things are going pretty good here. Let's go reach Parkville, because Parkville needs Christ. Who's going with me, right? Who's going to Baltimore City with me? Who's going to Owings Mills with me? Oh, yeah, I have a church in Owings Mills, <laughs> right? Like we have like those types of things. So like, but what if we start to grow to the point that we need to launch new services? It's the resources that will get us there. I promise you, I've seen a lot of budgets. Horizon spend, I'm so proud of the way Horizon spends the money that's donated. And if you ever want to see it, we will gladly post the budgets to you. Other things, getting practical, committing to reach out to our neighbors. One thing you can do is just commit to just being a part of it. Maybe it starts with your own neighborhood because you're not living right here. But man, when we're walking out the door, maybe bring your kids to the park when it's nice around here and just strike up conversations with people who live here. When you're eating lunch in Towson right after church, what does it mean to kind of just be talking to people? Hey, what do you think this community needs? What does it mean for us to be invested here in Towson while we're all here? And serving at a church on cleanup days. You know, we do these serving things, and a lot of times it's going to start to expand. When, when the neighbors saw that we were doing yard work over here for the vines, they said, can you do this side? And we said, we don't have the money yet. But man, it would be great to have 10 volunteers do that, because that neighbor would love the fact that we we're caring about their yard. What would it mean to kind of serve with your time and your energy? Because I would love for those service days to get way beyond this building. Right now it starts with hosting. But what if we're going over to like people who just are too old to kind of care for their own homes and we're saying, we the church will show up and help you with that. All right, this last thing seems very silly, but I want to paint a picture for you. This is one of the things we were set to do. How does Horizon Church operate? Any of you know this. This is is reality. At 11 o'clock, we try to start church and there's 12 of us here. And it's fantastic. <laughs> and then by about 11.05, there's like 30 of, 40 of, 50 of us here. And by about 11.10, it's like 100 people in this room. And by 11.15, we're like at full strength. That's, that's fine. I mean, I'm not trying to like, you know, it's, it's the millennial generation. But let me just paint a picture. If you're new, and we are, again, at my link group, we ask a name question every week. We say, what's your name and what's your favorite kitchen utensil? Something stupid, right? And people are like, Ryan, why do we still do that name question? Like, we know people. I'm like, because I expect there always to be someone who's new. And we will do that question every week because new people will be here. And you know what's happened in that link group? We don't go more than like four weeks without someone new coming because the expectation, the culture, the belief is that new people are gonna come, that they are welcome, and that part of our mindset is expecting that they will be here. So when they're here, they're not the strange new person. Yeah, we've been waiting for you. You're welcome. We're looking forward to you being here. You know, like, so like, Here's what I'm saying about the culture. So we're going to start inviting our neighbors. We're going to start loving our neighbors really well. And you know what they're going to do? Because they're normal human beings. They're going to show up at 1055. And they're going to walk in here. And they're going to be like, I don't see anybody. Um, is, is this the right spot? Is this church? Cool. Um, um, where do I go? Right? And we have greeters. They do a great job. They show people where to go. And they get up here. And they, 
can I eat that food? Is that food fine? Like, they, they, there's just not an environment that's, it's not the environment I want. Here's what I want. And when I say this, like, I'm a host. I love hosting. But one of my favorite things is when I invite people who are also hosts, and they, like, host in my space. Like, if any of you knew Megan Capiegi, she was, like, the queen of this. Like, she was a co-leader of mine in Link Group. I could go get sodas for people, but she could create, like, a home in the space. And people could come, and they were welcome. And she's always talking to the new person. And everybody feels at home, whether I'm there or not. We need all of you to help us host the new people that will come. And at 1055, what would it be like if they walked in and the rest of us were already here and we're having conversations, we're having fun, but we see the new, we're leaving these conversations to invite them in to say, hey, how are you? Come join us, come be a part of this, right? There's a presence. We are all hosting at 1045. There's one official host that we can send them to for information, but what if we were all doing it? Does that make sense? Like, guys, like, we have a chance to create an environment and an expectation. And we, I want us to come at 1045 with the expectation someone new will be there. And they might not be that week. But if we come every week with that mindset, it's going to happen. And if we start thinking, who are the new people? It just transforms our minds to say, yeah, I should be inviting people. I didn't think about that. And they're invited to this inviting, welcoming, fun environment from the minute they get there. I'm going too long with my sermon. I'm too excited about this. All right, so here's a few questions. Who can I be listening to in my neighborhood? Who can you be listening to? Who do you need to hear the heart cry from that's below the surface when they're just mad at the college kids? What are, what are they really feeling? What, are they really, what do they really need? What am I willing to sacrifice for my neighbors to know Jesus? And this is more of a heart reflection. This isn't like you need to make a list. This is just sit before Jesus and say, What do I hold too closely that you're asking me to let go of so that I can give more freely to the people around me? And finally, can I commit to coming to church 15 minutes early? Can I help create a culture that says we are expecting new people? It's the expectation. You know, the worship team, I'm asking them to come back up, and I want to pray for just a minute here. Again, this is something I say in our link group all the time. Whenever our link group multiplied, something that was really interesting would happen. We'd have like, 12 empty seats in the room for the first time. Because our, our, you know, our link group would going from being packed at the gills to having empty seats. And I would say this every time, and I mean this with all my heart. The cool thing about those empty seats is you have no idea who's going to fill them, but I promise you, they will become some of the most important people in your life in link group. Like, I remember when that seat was filled by Bill Druckenmiller and Rachel Druckenmiller, and it changed my life. I remember when those seats were filled by Anna and Josiah, and it changed my life. I remember when those seats were filled by Angela, and it changed my life. I rem- and, and this goes on. I could say this about most of the people who have, in this room have been in my link group. My life has never been the same because we created some seats for them. We have no idea who's going to be sitting in these empty seats but they may radically transform your life. They may radically transform the neighborhood. They may radically impact, like our church will forever be different because of who's not here yet. That's powerful to think about, isn't it? That's powerful to think about. So I'm gonna take for a minute and just let's pray as a community for the people who aren't here yet because they're out there. And I'll tell you this, the people in Judea are the most likely to walk in these doors. I want us to love the ends of the earth with all of our hearts, but the kids from Nicaragua are probably not gonna come sit in these seats. We'll get to what we do well at the ends of the earth. But Judea, they're the most likely to come fill these seats. Let's pray for them. Lord God, I am so excited about the prospect of who may be sitting in these seats that right now sit empty. Lord, we know that there are people that you love dearly who are hurt, who are lonely, who need connection, who need counsel, who need prayer. And right now, they're probably sitting at home because they don't know where to find those things. 
Lord, we're the church. You've called us to be the church. You've called us to be good news to the community. Teach us how to go outside of these walls and to love on our neighbors well. And Lord, I pray that the people who will come, who will sit in these seats, will come to know you in a powerful and transformational way. Lord, I pray that these empty seats would someday have the leaders of our church, the people who will be the first to raise their hands and say, I will go with that church plant. The people who will give money to Food for Thought and that will be feeding 30 kids in a few years because there's people who who aren't in these seats yet who will raise their hands and say, I will give to that. Lord God, I just pray for the people who will come. And I pray with confidence knowing that as you send us out, Lord, that that people will come and join us in this mission. Thank you for all that you've brought. Thank you for all the people who are here because they were faithful in response to your call. In Jesus' name, amen.